Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Can you feel the tension in the two messages, those two videos that you just watched? On the one hand, we have our our JCBC uh, senior graduates, our graduating seniors, reading from Ecclesiastes, a text that proclaims it's all the same, generation after generation, there's nothing new, it's all futile, one day blurs into the next, nothing compelling, nothing inspiring, it's all boring, we've lost it all. And then the promise of the New Testament message of Jesus that aliveness is available, that resurrection has come, that he came to bring life and life more abundantly, and that we actually literally really can be alive from the inside out and filled with joy and contentment and satisfaction and peace. That message held intention with this message in the same Bible, and I don't know if there's anybody who, who knows what that feels like more than our graduating seniors to, to somehow be suspended between despair and hope because you, our JCBC grads, have had a rough semester. This has been a rotten way to end your high school experience, hasn't it? And, and if, if nothing else, we just want to say out loud and kind of speak it into the universe in the context of worship, this really is rotten. This is not how you saw this playing out. And in many ways, you're on my mind today, but not just you. You know, even our eighth graders, in a a lesser degree, but in the same kind of way, for three years, eighth graders are moving all through middle school in preparation for this moment in which they, they go out with a bang and instead experience this fizzle, right? I'm thinking about our college graduates, those of you who are graduating college, and, and yet there's no, there's no cap and gown, there's no ending party, there's no celebration, and you've lived with sometimes the same person or the same people for four years in a row, like, like family, really, and instead of your experience ending with a bang, it's a fizzle. But in particular, I'm thinking about these high school grads because today is the day, May the 3rd, when you were supposed to be standing on this platform, right? And we were supposed to, as a church, to bless you and pray for you and encourage and affirm you in your launch into life. And that's going to happen, all right? You've already heard Pastor Annie communicate this to you, and I'm saying it too. It's going to happen when we gather back together. But today... I'm thinking about the reality that your generation really is a one-of-a-kind generation in, in a unique way. See, these graduates were the first generation born after 9-11. And so they began life in a context of tragedy. 
And now they begin their adult life in the context of a global pandemic. Could any group of people be more qualified to tell us how it feels to stand in the tension between the despair of Ecclesiastes and the promise of hope of the gospel of Jesus? So today, this message, while it's generally about everyone who's hearing it, I'm, I'm trying to communicate a word from the Lord to everyone who's listening that would encourage and inspire and empower. Today, I want you to know it's been constructed with you in mind. Yeah. Because in this series, we're talking about resurrection. And what we've been saying, I've said to you that resurrection isn't just a one-time one event, right? That resurrection is an all-the-time invitation to a way of life. And if, if resurrection is not simply one, a one-time event, but an all-the-time invitation to a way of life, then what does that truth have to say about your truth lived out right now? That this is not where you wanted to be. This is not how you wanted it to end. Because I believe that our belief in the resurrection has the capacity to inform and even transform how you're seeing life right now. And you know why? Because you still have a calling. You still have a calling that God has placed upon your life. Frederick Bigner says it this way, he says, your calling is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. See, there's something in you, regardless of the reality that it feels like your calling or your dreams have shattered all around you in a thousand pieces, there is in you something that makes you come alive. And for some of you, you're just beginning the journey to explore and discover what that is. What is it that makes me want to wake up in the morning? Some of you have already begun to discover that. And you know exactly what you're called to do. But in all of us, there is some passion, something that makes you feel alive, something that gets you up in the morning. And where that passion is, where that aliveness is, it meets a particular kind of need somewhere in the world. So somewhere there is a hunger in the world that your particular passion and calling seems to meet. And where that intersection takes place is where you are called to be and to do and to live and to love. But the trouble is, when we talk about calling, both in the church and in the outside world, we talk about go find your calling, what we often do is we, we talk about calling as something that you're called into, don't we? We use that language. I mean, we use language like, you know, I was called into the ministry or called into the mission field or I was called into the classroom to teach children or called into healthcare to serve the needs of those who are sick. Or maybe I was called into public service so I can serve and protect and keep communities safe. Whatever it is that we define as a calling, we sometimes talk about it as more of something we're called into rather than what it really is. See, the word calling comes from vocation. And vocation, what you do with your life, comes from a Latin word, vocare. And vocare, it means to call, but it really means more of a calling out of something. So to be called into something means you first have to be called out of something. 
every person Jesus ever called, he first called them out of something. So he comes to the fishers who are mending their nets, tending to their nets there on the seashore, and he says to Peter and James and John, follow me, come away from, I call you out of that definition of your calling, and I call you into being fishers for people. Right? You see? Or he goes to Matthew, who's at the, the table as a tax collector, and he calls him out of a life of exploiting people and cheating people, calls him out of a life of keeping people oppressed in a system of injustice and calls him into a life of liberating people and setting them free. What is it that God is calling you out of? Because that's where understanding what we're called into begins. And I want to suggest just one way today that your pastor, grads, especially you, everyone really, but you, your pastor wants to call you out. And there's one way in particular. I want to call you out of the rat race. That's an old term. Call it what you want to. Call it rat race. Call it the hamster wheel. Call it the chase. But here's what I mean by that. You know and you remember that in middle school, you began to take, some of you, preparations for high school so that in your high school schedule, you'd have plenty of room to take as many AP classes as you possibly can cram into your schedule. And why? Because that boosts your GPA, and while you're doing that, you're trying to study to master the ACT and to just kill the SAT. Why? Because those numbers will help you graduate and get into a good what? College. But why go to college? So you can get a good education. Why get an education? So you can graduate. Why graduate? So that you can get a degree. Why do you need a degree? So you can get a job. Why do you need a job? So you can get lots of money, so that you can buy lots of stuff and create a name for yourself, right? And all that stuff is fine and good and normal, and everyone you've ever met has done the same. But I'm telling you, that rhythm and that pace, that chase, that rat race, you can run it and you can win it. But the trouble with the rat race, if, you, if gone unchecked, if you just go blindly into it like everybody else is, got to go to this school, get this degree, work for this job, get this stuff. If you just go into the rat race blindly, the truth about the rat race is you can win it. But when you win it, guess what that leaves you? It leaves you still a rat. You may be a winning rat. You may be a successful rat. You could be a respected, well-known, popular celebrity rat but you're still a rat. There is something better, and I want to call you vocare out of the assumption that you have to get on that crazy train. See, uh, it, was, uh, it was Thomas Merton who said, look, you can climb the ladder of success. A lot of people do. People climb the ladder of success, and you can make it all the way to the top. But when you make it to the top, sometimes you learn that your ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah, yeah. You can climb the ladder, so go. But at the end of your journey, know this. You may find that it was leaning against the wrong wall, and I want to call you out of that kind of climb. 
So senior grads, just find a senior adult anywhere near you. Stand six feet from them and ask them, and they will tell you that sooner or later in your journey, you're going to go through a season, and you've been prepared for it. Maybe uniquely, you have been uniquely prepared for these seasons that come now. You will hit a season of disappointment and disillusionment, and it will force you to call into question the kind of race that you've been running. And you will hit an experience that will force you to reevaluate the walls against which you have been leaning your ladders. What wall do you want to lean your ladder against? Because all of these chases and all of these ladders, all this running and climbing, for a while they seem to promise a life of joy and contentment and satisfaction and meaning, they promise all, and we will all be prone to pursue pathways that promise all those things, but I can promise you that they can deliver none of them. There's somebody listening even right now who who may be in the middle of life, some at the end of, of life, at the end of life's journey, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe even recently or even right now, you feel the despair of having spent the greater part of your life and the greater energies of your race running in a race that's not worth the chase. A few years ago in... Florida, there was a racetrack, a dog racetrack that made national news. See, at a dog racetrack, is really quite fascinating. These greyhound dogs will run. These are gorgeous dogs, long, sleek, beautiful dogs who can run up to like 45 miles an hour. I mean, that's pushing like cheetah speed. They're second only to cheetah in terms of land mammals who was able to run at that level, at that speed. And they race around this track, and it's quite exhilarating, but what motivates them to race is this mechanical bunny, this mechanical rabbit that is running on an inside track around the race, and they're chasing it. It's it's covered, it looks like little bunny foo-foo there, but it's really made up of, you know, circuits, so it's like little bunny cyborg, and, and they're chasing the rabbit. So the rabbit will come around, it'll click a lever, the doors where the dogs are behind the starting gate will release and the dogs take off and chase the rabbit. Well, this particular day, the rabbit started its chase and it clicked the lever and the doors flung open and the, the greyhounds took off down the track. And as they took off down the track toward little bunny cyborg, something interesting happened the rabbit turns the first corner in the track and explodes. I mean, it just, it, it, something goes wrong mechanically and it literally explodes. And there's like springs and coils and nuts and bolts and fire and smoke just smoldering there. And these greyhounds plow right into it. And two of them plow into the, the corner or to the wall on the first turn, breaking ribs. One of the dogs lays down on the track and starts, you know, kind of grooming himself. Another one is howling at the crowd. And one goes and hikes his leg up on a pole. And I want, I want you to think about that image, about this race that at the very beginning seems so very exciting because you, grads, are about to be in the starting gate of the race of your life. 
And there will be a thousand mechanical bunnies that seem like this race is worth the chase. But I promise you that there are some races that will end in utter disappointment and despair. And I want to call you out of running races of meaninglessness. I want to call you, Vacare, out of chasing after rabbits that simply will fall apart before your eyes. The truth is, Jesus said there's a better race to run. So there's this guy, right? And he, he is this um, merchant of fine jewels. And Jesus said this, this merchant specialized in and pearls. And he would, he, he's not like this mom and pop shop where he would you know, prop open the window and sell pearls from his, his you know, store. He was a merchant, a wholesaler who would go from port to port around the world spending his resources, his money, his time, his energy in this pursuit, this chase after the finest pearls in the world. And one day, he found it. He found this pearl that was so beautiful, so costly, that it was worth more than he could possibly imagine. So this guy goes home. And he literally has a yard sale and, and liquidates all his assets. He gets rid of all of his stuff in order to have enough money to go back and buy this pearl of great price. It was so valuable that in his mind, he recognized that this pearl is greater in value than anything else I have ever acquired or pursued. And Jesus said, that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was his way of saying, that is the life of God right here in the world. That is what it's like to actually wake up to the awareness that God is all around you, calling you, Vulcare, out of meaningless races into the one race that matters in the end more than anything. And I am telling you, our beloved graduates-to-be, that it is the incomparable pearl of God, Jesus Christ. That if you pursue with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your, your strength, knowing Him and being known by Him, you will have acquired the greatest achievement in human history to actually find the costliest pearl of God a relationship that remains strong despite disappointments, a friend who remains with you despite the chaos and the disillusionment that has come this semester and I promise you will continue to come throughout the course of your life if you sell it all and pursue this costly pearl called Jesus. You will have with you Something that puts all of life's disappointments in perspective. So it really comes down to a question, what kind of race do you want to run? So David Brooks wrote this article for the New York Times called The Moral Bucket List. And in this article, he talks about something really interesting to me. He talks about resume virtues 
versus eulogy virtues. So a resume virtue, right, is, is what you do to build a resume. It's what you do to achieve this accomplishment, to succeed at this goal, to earn this degree, to land that job, to purchase that house. These are resume virtues. Is creating a life or running a race that presents this persona to the world that's impressive and quite frankly, we all chase it in some way. But he says there's another alternative. The trouble is at the end of your life, when you die and you will, are they going to talk about your resume? Not likely. What they do is they stand up and somebody who loved you is going to give your eulogy. And that is when they say things about you that you want the world to remember. She was kind. He was merciful. She was generous. He was a servant. She reminds me a lot of Jesus. He lived his life according to the way of our Lord. Eulogy virtues. And there was a man who one day traded in his resume list, his resume virtues, for a, a prize of another kind. His name was Paul. And he was the most accomplished Jewish leader in his neighborhood. In fact, he wrote a a letter in the New Testament. He wrote half the New Testament, basically, most of it. And in this letter to the church at Philippi, he's talking about his resume. And by the way, he's writing this thing while he is literally chained to a prison wall in Rome. And he's reflecting back over all of the pursuits, all the ladders he has climbed, all the races that either were or were not worth the chases. And this is what he says. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh and what they've done and who they are, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, very prestigious, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, an expert of the law, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, I have a resume that will top your resume. My resume virtues cannot be beaten. Yet, but, on the other hand, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. In fact, in the King James Version of the Bible, the word there is not rubbish. The word is dung. I regard it all as dung in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from uh, the law, but one that comes through the faith in Christ. 
the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ. See, this is now his new pursuit. This is now his new race. This is now his new ladder. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, look, I have been there, done that. I have chased every pursuit you can imagine and accomplished them. And now that I've met Christ, I can tell you that all of it I consider rubbish, dung. You can fill in your own word at home. Uh, I consider it all a waste of time because it cannot compare to knowing Christ. But notice what he said. I, I have to consider myself dying with him so that I may rise with him. The truth of this pursuit, beloved, is that if you choose to be called out of climbing ladders that are leaning against wrong walls, you can be called to a ladder that pursues Christ, but understand that that ladder doesn't go up, it goes down. And as you climb your way down in humility and yieldedness before him, that is the way to be raised up. And, and as I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, when Christ calls a person, Christ calls them and bids them to come and die to die to self, to die to every other earthly pursuit that is incomparably um, diminished according to the, the, the prize of the pearl of Christ. You must die to every former pursuit in order to truly find the pearl of great price. And you may be listening to what I'm talking about and it may sound reasonable to you, but you may be at a place where you're like, you know, I think it may be too late for me. You may be at a place where you're like, I, I would love to actually be called out, but I've run this race so long, I don't know how to run any other race. Maybe it begins with a kind of prayer. Maybe right where you are, you pray a prayer that sounds a lot like this. God, I recognize that for the longest time, I've run the only kind of race that I have known how to run. Yeah, it's been a rat race. Yeah, I've tried to achieve and accomplish and strive and succeed. But the reality is, God, all of those so far have left me still as hungry and as thirsty as when I first began. So I admit to you that I'm coming to the end of myself now. And, and I, when I come to the end of myself, I am believing that the end of me is the beginning of you. And I believe that you can do in my life something that I cannot do. So I confess my need for you. I confess that I, I truly, literally, really need you to call me out and call me in to a life that truly is full of meaning and purpose and contentment and joy. I humbly yield myself before you. And I, I pray that you would rescue me before the bunny explodes. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
and see if you prayed that prayer right where you are. And if you are watching on your screen, your device, your TV, and you literally, truly meant those words in your heart, then it counts. He heard you, and it matters. And now you need to tell somebody. I've been overwhelmed these last two weeks at those of you who have emailed me after worship to say, look, I want somebody to know I prayed. I've been overwhelmed by the number of emails saying, I prayed this prayer and I meant it. Here's the place where I need change and transformation in my life. And today I prayed for the first time in a long time that I would relinquish control and allow God to guide me in a brand new way. If you prayed in a similar way today, I want you to tell me. I want you to, to put it in an email. My email address is here on your screen. And, and reach out. And if we can somehow talk further or if we can be helpful to you in taking another step, that we want to do that. Because now you have begun a journey on a track toward life. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. I die to every unworthy pursuit, and that's a gain to me. Because now to live is to pursue Christ with everything in me. And that message is for grads, for eighth graders, for college graduates, and every person longing for a race worth the chase. So, now wherever it is that you go from this hour of worship, May Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his.